listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Not to say I told you so, but I told you so. The debate commission in this country is an absolute failure. This country has been poorly served by that conglomerate of who knows who put together by the liberals. This is the same conglomerate, the same independent commission that only got us one English language language debate with Justin Trudeau. Also gets us Maxime Bernier. Thanks for that. And late yesterday, a judge ruled that the rebel had to be admitted as accredited journalist. I get a bad taste in my mouth saying journalist and the rebel in the same sentence. But last night, six partisan jibber-jabbers, a cacophony of claptrap. Loud noises! It was so silly that in a bit of theater of the absurd, the candidate who wants to secede from the country just begins to count the clock. Yeah. How many seconds will, we, will you leave me before you jump in? <laughs> uh, somebody invoking the truth should not be somebody denying climate change. And the use of socialism seems to come a little bit too easy. I don't deny and, climate change. Oh, you made 10 seconds. Uh, <laughs> See, I just run the clock down. Leader of the Parti Quebecois there. Now, Shear's best moment, Andrew Shear had a couple of moments yesterday. And I don't know if it moves the needle at all, but I want to play one for you. Here's, I think, one of his best moments, at least in this province, where he talks about how dofo panic is gripping the Liberal Party. Mr. Shear's platform, what we've seen of it, because most of it is still secret and will remain secret, apparently, like Doug Ford, that didn't work out so well for Ontarians, um, is to reduce taxes for the wealthiest Canadians. First of all, Mr. Trudeau, you seem to be oddly obsessed with provincial politics. There is a vacancy for the Ontario Liberal leadership, and if you're so focused on provincial politics, go and run for the leadership of that party, Mr. Trudeau. Oh, snap. Yeah, you want to be the leader of Ontario? Go join that party with, what do they got, five members now? Five? Now, you would think that Mr. Ford might actually have come out of the woodwork today. Because Mr. Shear was back in Toronto this morning, you heard this in the news, pledging money for Mr. Ford's pet project, the Ontario Line. Conservative leader Scheer saying he's going to fund two major public transit projects. He was in Thornhill, where he said a conservative government, if elected, would prioritize funding for the Ontario line and the Young Subway Extension projects. No dollar figures were given. The 7.4-kilometer Young Subway Extension is a link Toronto to Markham, Vaughan, and Richmond Hill, and the 15-kilometer Ontario line would be projected to boost capacity 30% on an east-west-north-south route. Now, the Ontario line is expected to cost $11 billion and is scheduled to be completed by 2027. That is a figment of your imagination, folks. I'll tell you that for free. The Young Subway Extension is supposed to be $5.6 billion and should be operational right after the Ontario line opens and pigs begin to fly. But back to the debate. Here we go. Andy goes full gunslinger against JTs. He steps out from behind the podium and faces off against his nemesis. Conservative leader Andrew Scheer, you may 
pick any leader of your choice and ask any question of your choosing. That's just where he faces Trudeau there. And here is Sheer kind of saying, dude, you've changed to Maxime Bernier, who remember that he bested Bernier for the leadership. So little sour grapes going on here, maybe. You Ask have you gone question? from someone who used to believe in an immigration system that was fair, orderly, and compassionate, and now you are making your policy based no. on trying to get likes and retweets no. from the darkest parts Absolutely of Twitter. Not. We can be a country Absolutely that celebrates not. the contribution from That's people what from I all around the world. I want to it's celebrate important. what unites us. I don't want to celebrate you can every do time that. or diversity. You can do that is an exchange last night between Andrew Scheer and Maxime Bernier. Now, is it wrong that I thought Bernier had the best suit? Because he looked sharp. I love the blue. Nice presidential fold on the pocket square, too. Not all poofy like the blocks poofy thing. And I say this to the TV, and, and my wife turns to me. I just recently got married, and she turns to me, and she said, that looks a lot like the suit you wore when you got married. Is that why you like it? Dear God, is this how populism and extremism starts, takes root? One day you like a guy's suit, next thing you know you're walking with a goose step. It's scary. I don't know if you can like his suit or not. Hey, speaking of suits, Trudeau looked like he was applying to be a funeral director, didn't he? Black on black. It was as if he was saying, look, I can wear all black without actually painting it on my face. You know, he's learned his lesson. And he was appropriately dressed in a slightly ill-fitting suit. You know, appeals to the base. It's not too flashy. It probably came as a two-for-one special. Looks good. Just don't get it near an open flame. As for Elizabeth May, let me say that when it comes to commenting on what women are wearing, I take the same position as Miss May did last night when the debate turned to abortion. In other words, men have no place commenting at all. Elizabeth May here criticizing Scheer for not being clear on his position on abortion and noting that as the only female party leader, she wasn't invited to participate in last week's French debate. We love this country, and it's not because I want to have a discussion about immigration Mr. that I'm Bernier, radical. Only your role 6%, on this stage only seems to be to say I got, publicly. I got the wrong one there. That's, you, but you follow. You, you follow. Uh, here now, let's move to Elizabeth May again. With some truth-telling, I like this moment last night where she basically looks at Sheer and says, dude, you ain't going to be PM. With two weeks left in this election campaign, Canadians can know one thing. At this point, Mr. Sheer, with all due respect, you're not going to be prime minister. The question is going to be on a seat count if we have Mr. Trudeau in a minority or Mr. Trudeau in a majority. Well, I'm going to prove you wrong on that, Ms. May. You just watch on October 21st. I'll lay your bets right now. Did he just... Did, first of all, are they wagering? That would be illegal. B, uh, did he just invoke Pierre Trudeau? Just watch me. Dude, dude, that's the other guy gets to say that, not you. But I guess, you, you know, get out there, get out in front of it. Now, the consensus really has been, coming out of all of this, that the winner here, or at least the candidate that people seem to like the most, was Jagmeet Singh. And moments like this really helped him. Mr. Shear, you might remember that, Mr. Singh, you might remember that summer I'm very, uh, very different from over, Mr. Shear. Over, I you got realize. it. You got yeah. it. I mean, you look so alike, it's really taller. difficult There's for me. There's nothing to come in here, man. <laughs> yeah. The other thing we need to do is, when we want to tackle the problems, is housing. Housing is something that's concerning a lot of people. Federal money used to be invested in building, in partnership with provinces to build housing. We want to do that again. Mr. Shear, thank you. 
Mr. Uh, Mr. Singh, pardon me. me. Mr. Sher, over to you. I don't know how people are getting me mixed up. I ain't got to allow that. <laughs> and that's a nice moment there as he points out that he even wore a very bright turban to try and stand out. How possibly could you mix him up with anybody else? And uh, that is not a criticism, of course, of, of Donna there. Donna Friesen, one of the moderators, I think did an amazing job. And, of course, Rosie at the end, just I was saying last night, could could Rosie Barton come to my house and help my kids get up and get ready for school in the morning? Because... Man, she can expedite things. When she had to move stuff along, she did it. I thought the five moderators was a good thing. I didn't mind that at all. I was fearful that they'd put them all in a panel so you'd have a panel facing a panel. I like that. That seemed to work very well. But the rest of it, I mean, this thing made TikTok look like an in-depth platform. It Like it was a debate for the Snapchat generation. Right? Nobody gets to talk for more than 45 seconds. You know, for a younger generation, 45 seconds, that's like a four-hour movie. I don't think we were well served by it. We didn't get answers, and nothing really seems has changed. Or has it? Coming up after the break, Daryl Bricker, pollster extraordinaire from Ipsos, is going to join me on the line, break down some of the recent polling, and assess whether or not the needle really will have moved at all. Plus, we are going to go to China with the latest on the situation between the NBA and the Communist Party of China. More developments on that. Welcome back. We're going to get to the polls in just a moment, but I mentioned vegans. I just mentioned this because this weekend I am hosting Thanksgiving, and uh, many people will have this challenge Uh, When family comes from all over, everybody's got a different thing. You know, some people are lactose intolerant. Some people are vegetarians. And I have a vegan coming to Thanksgiving. I think it should be like a theater of the absurd play by Edward Elby. You know, vegan coming to dinner. Yeah. I'm surrounded by vegans. I bring in two vegans who are with me. Rob, Jackie. You understand why people are upset about vegans, right? You understand? No. They're Why? offended because we're so they good looking. can't make a personal change. And they don't want to, so they're mad Nobody likes to be judged when they're trying to enjoy some stuffing. Nobody wants to make change because they enjoy stuffing. Hey, I'm not judging you. Seriously. You do what you want to do. Okay. Yeah. I'm judging you, Rob. We're going to get back to this vegan discussion, and I will need some help over the next couple of days from the listeners to this mighty radio program. How is it? that I deal with a vegan coming to dinner. That is coming up a little later on this week on the radio program, but let's talk polls, shall we? Really, the election is going to be decided in a couple of places, in Quebec, and especially in the 905, and partly in British Columbia in the Lower Mainland. Really, the rest of the country is solidly locked into place. The undecideds are really only in some narrow areas. And the latest polling information shows that the approval of the Liberals' performance in government is actually highest in Quebec, followed by Atlantic Canada, then Ontario, then B.C., Saskatchewan, Manitoba, in that order. Approval for the Trudeau government, and this won't go surprise anybody, is lowest in Alberta at 25%. Daryl Bricker is CEO of Ipsos. <laughs> Ipsos. Daryl, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me on, Alan, and just for the record, stuffing is awesome. Thank you. But it must it must be made with the drippings of dead animals. Am I right or am I right? 
there, there's no other way, really. It, there, it's uh, not stuffing. You. Thank you. I don't need a I don't poll. know what the other thing is, but it's not <laughs> stuffing. You <laughs> get to get a poll on that. Can, it, can we get that out in the field? That poll? Oh, I can find out. <laughs> Actually, I just had a good one on tattoos we can share with you at some point. Oh, well. I didn't know that Daryl was inked. Are you inked, Daryl? Are you an uh, inked pollster? No, my heart is, is, is coated in ink, yes. No, <laughs> I have no ink. No, not for me. All right, let's talk about the debate uh, from last night and whether you will perceive any change or whether you think there'll be any change in the numbers that were uh, just come out yesterday from Ipsos. And please keep your questions to less than 45 seconds or I'm going to get all Rosie Barton on you. <laughs> Rosie Barton. Uh, you know what? Um, we won't know for a few days. Uh, what tends to happen is people who watch the debate form one impression, and then people who watch the clips and uh, you know read things about it afterwards sometimes form another impression. So a- as all of that settles in, we'll get a better sense of whether or not it had any impact. So what what you're saying is, is sort of what we're doing here today, where we you know go through the entrails of the thing and dig out bits, and then there's all the think pieces that come out. That that is really what shapes the opinion as much as what actually happened last night. Yeah, a consensus starts to form as to what actually happened. And and most people when they're watching it in the in the main don't really have a reaction to, you know, whether somebody is winning or losing. They might have a reaction to whether or not somebody is connecting with them personally. Uh but uh they, you know, as far as the the political in and outs, they're not really considering that. What did you make again of Jugmeet Singh? He seemed for many pundits to have won the debate, certainly in terms of likability and maybe that connection that you're talking about. But yet your polls have shown that even though he's scored points on that in the past, it hasn't moved the numbers. Yeah, so this last night was really the first time that Canadians got to see him in the context of being a political leader of a major party. I mean, they've seen him in clips. They may have, uh, uh, you know, heard about him, but uh, seeing him head-to-head with the other leaders of major national parties, this was really the first time. So uh, based on what we were looking at for Global National last night, uh, everything that we saw in our social media analysis was he, he did pretty well. Not only did he have a large volume of people talking about him, but gradually through the night, impressions improved for him right to the very end. But how does that translate at the polls? I mean, I, I know that I, I wrote a piece. That's what we don't know. <laughs> I wrote a piece just recently where I used some Ipsos polling saying that only 16% of respondents say that, you know, local candidates matter to them. And they say that by and large, it's either the leader or the leader's policies that prompt them to vote. Well, in this campaign, the one thing that we have been able to sort out is that leadership is disproportionately important in in, in this campaign. And, and the reason is because policy really isn't dominating. So the the question is, are you disappointed by, by Justin Trudeau? And there's a lot of people who say they, they are. Um, and if you're disappointed, what do you do about that? Do you give him another chance? Or... Do you consider other options? And where we are in this race right now is people really focused on that idea of who is going to be the next prime minister of the country. So given that we're focused on leadership, the fact that Jagmeet Singh came out really well last night, and and as I said before, that's what the data show, uh, then if it's personality and leadership that's driving this, maybe he's got an opportunity to move some things. We won't know until the next couple of days, but if I was Mr. Singh, I'd be somewhat optimistic. And then... It follows then that Mr. Shear must be thrilled because if Mr. Singh can get up off the mat and, you know, vote splits being what they are, 
that is going to allow the conservatives maybe to take a bunch of seats, especially in the 905. You are exactly correct. You're, 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 you're ready to go out into the world of being a pollster, Alan. You're, you're now prepared. <laughs> That's exactly what the situation is, because it is like three-dimensional chess. There's what happens uh, between the individual parties and, and what's going on with them specifically, but then there's the overall context of what's happening in the campaign. And in the campaign, every vote for the NDP is really a vote for, for, uh, for a conservative government, because uh, the, uh, the single biggest pool of available voters out there right now are liberal NDP switchers, and if they decide to move to the NDP, that's when the splits start to work, particularly in the 905 for the conservatives. You are out of time, sir. That is Daryl Bricker, who is CEO of Ipsos. Thank you so much for being on the program. I love being here. Thanks thanks for having me on. Right, take care of yourself. I want to uh, talk about what's going on in the NBA because I am fascinated by this story and the complete abandonment of any kind of democratic ideal on any kind of leadership in the world. It is crass, craven, absolute, bottom-line, money-driven. And I think it's an embarrassment for the sport. And today, the NBA commissioner, or I guess it was late last night because it happened in China, uh, had some things to say, and I want to recount what's going on. I'll take you, get you up to date here on what's happening. Chinese state TV has now halted the broadcasts of NBA preseason games, and the Raps were in China playing yesterday because of the controversy concerning ongoing pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong. Here's a report that gets you up to speed on what's been happening. CCTV will no longer air the NBA early games set in China after Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey tweeted an image that supported anti-government demonstrations in Hong Kong. The state arm says it's reviewing all its cooperation and exchanges involving the NBA now. Morey's tweet has provoked a wave of censure from Chinese companies, including a major sports merchandise retailer that has halted its partnership with the Rockets. I'm Charles de Ledesma. And now South Park's creators... The program South Park has been brought into all of this. They've responded now with a mock apology after the program was censored in China. The apology from Trey Parker and Matt Stone comes after reports Monday that China has now scrubbed all episodes, clips, and content related to South Park from Chinese streaming and social media platforms in response to a recent episode that was critical of the country. Well, I hope you little commies are pretty pleased with yourself. Now, the episode, that clip not from it, but that it was a South Park clip, it was called Banned in China, took aim at what it portrayed as a tendency in U.S. culture to adjust content to accommodate Chinese censorship laws. Now, the tweet, or rather, pardon me, in the episode, one of the characters said, it's not worth living in a world where China controls my country's art. Now, here is part of the tweet. We, too, love money more than freedom and democracy. She doesn't look like Winnie Pooh at all, the statement continued. That refers to China's ban on the A.A. Milne character, Winnie the Pooh, after widespread circulation of memes that compared China's President Xi Jinping to Winnie the Pooh. Well, I hope you little commies are pretty pleased with yourself. And all of this is prompting the NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, to try and address this tension between China and the NBA. Silver speaking at a news conference in Tokyo about it. It's my hope that for our Chinese fans and our partners in China, they will see those remarks in the context of now a three-decade, if not longer, relationship. Now, the commissioner... 
defended the right of Rockets general manager to have actually tweeted last week in support of anti-government protesters in Hong Kong. Silver going on to say, I understand there are consequences. Quote, we are not apologizing for Daryl exercising his freedom of expression. I regret that so many people in China are upset, including millions and millions of our fans. China? Now, Yao Ming could be the man in the middle of all of this. Yao, of course, is a former Houston Rockets great, a basketball Hall of Famer. The towering center is even larger because he's the head of the Chinese Basketball Association. And the NBA commissioner wants to talk to him soon. Silver saying that Yao is extremely hot at the moment, and I understand it. It's my hope that when I'm in Shanghai, I can meet with the appropriate officials and discuss where we stand. And again, put those remarks from Daryl Morey and my remarks in an appropriate context. That is the commissioner of the NBA talking about wanting to meet with Chinese officials and trying to get together with Yao Ming. Now, Adam Silver said the disputed tweet may have inadvertently raised issues surrounding Hong Kong to a wide audience and perhaps even some sports fans who didn't know anything about it. Sports shines a light on them and, quote, the commissioner saying, certainly I don't come here as the commissioner of the NBA and an American to tell others how to run their governments, unquote, Silver said. And then he added, at the end of the day, I am an American. There are some values that are deeply rooted in the DNA of the NBA, and that includes freedom of expression of our employees. What to make of all of this? Silver sort of saying, well, we defend the right of the Rockets owner, the Rockets gym, to say these things. But at the same time, here is the NBA absolutely acquiescing. It's embarrassing, and not just embarrassing, I think frightening. Because it shows the power of China and the willingness to use it to get what they want. And I fear for the people of Hong Kong when they watch this and they see this because they know the world is abandoning them. Welcome back to the program. A quick look at some of these stories making news. Uh-oh, it's happening. The International Monetary Fund's new managing director is warning that the world economy is now in the grips of a synchronized global shutdown. Or slowdown. Shutdown might have been too harsh. Slowdown. She says that next week's updated IMF forecast will show growth falling to its lowest point since the beginning of the decade. And she blames that on rising trade conflicts, the predicting of the slowdown will result in slower growth for 90% of the world this year. Many, many analysts saying big headwinds in the economy. And there is the IMF's new managing director warning that the world economy is slowing quickly. On the federal campaign trail post-debate, conservative leader Andrew Scheer is courting voters here in Toronto. He's promising to fund two projects to extend the subway system and shorten commuter times. The Liberal leader, Justin Trudeau, is in Iqaluit to talk about his party's climate strategies. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh is also in Toronto today. And pundits have said that pretty much he won this debate last night, the English debate last night. They think that maybe he won the previous debate, the one that in English that uh, Justin Trudeau was not at. He's well-liked, handles himself well, but the polls are stuck right where they've always been. No gain.
Here is Global National's Mike LeCouture this morning with a great question for Mr. Singh. Does it frustrate you at all that you're seemingly doing so well in the campaign, <laughs> but the polls just don't say that? Uh, you know, I, I've gone through a lot of frustrations in my life, and um, that's nothing new. I work hard for everything, and I, and I don't take anything for granted. But I'm not really worried about myself. I'm actually really frustrated that Canadians are being told that they should settle for less. I'm frustrated that Canadians have to choose between a person that believes in delaying or a person that believes in denying. I mean, I don't think people have to make that choice. That is Jugmeet Singh campaigning this morning in Toronto. For a second year in a row, a Canadian has claimed a share in the Nobel Prize in Physics. Winnipeg-born James Peebles, who is a professor at Princeton, is being honoured for his contribution to the understanding of the evolution of the universe and the Earth's place in it. And still with science, we have a new moon king. A new moon king, ladies and gentlemen. Saturn has now broken a new solar system record with the discovery of 20, 20 new moons. The ringed planet now has 82 known moons, smashing the previous record that was held by Jupiter. Suck on that, Jupiter! Jupiter only has 79. Now, Jupiter has held the Moon King title for decades, and even recently it got itself a dozen new moons, but that just didn't matter. Saturn, the new Moon King. Turning now to a very serious story developing in Hamilton, Ontario, where two teenagers are facing first-degree murder charges in connection with the stabbing of a 14-year-old boy. Police say they arrested an 18-year-old man and a 14-year-old boy, both from Hamilton, who will be charged today. Investigators say another youth was arrested last night, but was later released without any conditions. Police say they have not yet found a weapon. The boy was stabbed outside of his high school 1 p.m. on Monday, and the incident happened in front of the boy's mother. Here is Detective Sergeant Steve Baruzic outlining how concerning this incident is. When I look at this so far, it's, it's a complete disregard for, for human life, um, which is extremely concerning for, for people of such a young age. Morgan Campbell is a Global News reporter covering this story for us. And Morgan, any updates on this today? Well, a 14-year-old boy and an 18-year-old boy have both been arrested and charged with first-degree murder in connection with the death. Um, as you can imagine, the com entire community um, is shocked and saddened um, at, you know, this just senseless, senseless tragedy. A tragedy that, you know, was witnessed by multiple people and Global News has learned, you know, some, some were even taking videos of the, of the assault that, that quickly turned to murder. Do we have any idea about a possible motive in this? You know what, it would, Alan, it would be speculation for me to really say too much at this point. Um, but what I can tell you is that uh, it's a high school, so there are several rumors kind of escalating. Um, I do know that from speaking with the family that uh, this boy was bullied at school and that uh, he had went to the school board for help. And, um, you know, I'm hearing that there was, you know, only circumstantial evidence to prove that he was bullying and, and nothing quite, you know, happened with that. I also spoke with other kids at the school today who told me that that school has um, a bit of a bullying problem, that it's known as, as a school where kids get jumped. 
um, and, and that, you know, it can be violent. But on the other hand, you talk to some parents on the street who say that it's a great school um, and that uh, they're good neighbors and that, you know, th- this type of thing doesn't happen. So it's, it's really tough to say out. It is such a difficult story to try and comprehend in a 14-year-old. So what do we know about the outstanding suspects? Well, not a whole lot. They appeared in court this morning um, via video link from Hamilton Police Headquarters. Um, A publication ban was put in place right away, so I can't release too many details, including their names at this point in time. Do we, uh, is there anybody outstanding? Uh, am, I, am I wrong in that? Has yes, everybody yes. been? So they, they have two other suspects, um, a teenage girl and a teenage boy that they'd also like to speak with. Now, here's the other thing, Alan. This all was captured on video. So police know um, exactly what transpired. They know who they're looking for, and they have said more than once that it's only a matter of time before they close in on them. So they have told those two suspects to seek legal counsel if need be and uh, and turn themselves in. Morgan Campbell is a global news reporter covering this extremely tragic and disturbing story coming out of Hamilton with the death of a 14-year-old boy. Thank you, Morgan. I appreciate you being on the program. No problem, Alan. Thank you. All right, cue it up for me. Just play a little bit of this for you because I got some Eagles news. Eagles are planning massive performances of their album Hotel California during their 2020 U.S. tour. Performances of the band's 1976 album will include a 46-piece orchestra, a 22-voice choir, organizers announcing today that 77 musicians are expected to be on stage while Eagles perform hits from the album. The tour kicks off next year. Stops will include New York, Dallas, Houston, and San Francisco. I was remiss in checking whether or not it's going to happen here in Toronto. I'll have to check on that. Get back to you. I should have looked ahead on that one. But anyway, you might want to just check. You can Google it, all right? Just just throw that into the old Google machine if that's something that you're interested in. And you're listening to the Eagles' famous uh, Hotel California. And you can check out anytime you like. But you can never leave. Speaking of never leaving and... If you're a parent, you often wonder about this. Will the kids ever launch? Will they ever be able to leave the nest and make their way in the world? It's a big question, especially for kids as they leave high school and move to post-secondary. It's a big change. And we put an enormous amount of pressure on our young people. We put pressure on them to succeed early. We put pressure on them to figure out what they're going to do, perhaps far too early in life when they don't really know what it is. They don't know themselves to know what it is that they want. And then on top of all of that, we have mental health issues. Post-secondary students across this country need mental health services, but schools simply don't have the resources to meet the demand. Services are failing to catch up, and students many times are left in the lurch. The number of students on college and university campuses with identified mental health conditions has more than doubled in the past five years. That's according to the Council Group Ontario Universities. And now we have the fourth story in our four-part series about this transition between high school and the real world. It's called Failure to Launch, and it's online now. 
at globalnews.ca. And this week's segment is about just what I was talking about, and that is the need for mental health services for post-secondary students. Laura Hensley is a Global News National Online journalist and joins me on the line. Hi, Laura. Hey, Alan. What do we know about how much help there are, there is, pardon me, for post-secondary students, and has that changed recently? Certainly. You know, I think the fact that there are so many students, like you mentioned, the stats that the mental health needs have more than doubled over the past five years. That's a huge amount of kids going into university or college with mental health needs. And the university and college campuses just do not have the resources. To give you an example, at Ryerson University here in Toronto, last year there was about 36,000 students and the school only has 18 mental health counselors. And, I mean, what what does it all mean in terms of students who access those services? I mean, we, like we said, we've had a, a jump in those who need it, and then we just don't have the people there. Well, schools are recognizing that they need to invest more money into getting more counselors on staff. But the problem is, you know, there's just too much demand. And I think that that affects students' academics. It affects their mental well-being. It affects their ability to perform, at, you know, in school and socialize, and that has ripple effects. And when students do go to get help, they're faced often with really long wait times. You know, I spoke to one student from the University of British Columbia, and she had really bad depression, and she went to her school's mental health center, and they said, you have to come back in eight weeks for an appointment with a counselor. And it broke my heart because when she was telling me this, she said, you know, when you have bad depression, it's so hard to even ask for help. And then you ask for help, and you're told to come back in two months. And it can be really discouraging. I guess I want to pose this question. And there is so much mental health in terms, you know, awareness, and we need more awareness, and there are problems out there. But should it be on the post-secondary institution to provide and fund uh, that services? Or are, are there other models that are being used? That's a great question. I don't think the responsibility should solely be on college and universities, you know. That's a huge burden for them to carry to, to deal with all their students' mental health issues. But, you know, at Global News, actually, a few weeks ago, my colleague did this really great report that found that mental health services across Canada, the funding is just not there, meaning that even outside of post-secondary institutions, so many people don't have access to affordable therapy. And unless you have, you know, a private benefits, you have insurance that pays for a therapist, it can be really hard to see someone. And the public wait times are sometimes months. And so when you're talking about mental health, you know, if you had an, any other health issue, you could go to a hospital or see a doctor and you would not be turned away if you had an urgent need. But when it comes to mental health, it seems like our whole system is just not working the way it should be. Yeah, we treat it so very differently, you know, despite all of our words of uh, encouragement and acceptance about mental health, we still don't have the services available. And I know, uh, anecdotally, just speaking with people in the TDSB, for example, that anxiety and mental health issues amongst kids is an epidemic. And each high school in this city has guidance counselors that are absolutely overworked, that just simply don't have the capacity to see all the kids they need. And then you have kids who are already suffering, and they're on a trajectory to head to post-secondary, and it's not going to get better unless there's some kind of intervention. 
Definitely. It's almost like a perfect storm. You know, if we talk about the brain's development, we know and your brain's still growing and changing until you're about 25. So if you're experiencing mental health issues in high school and you're not really getting help because there's just not enough resources, you're going into an environment like college or university where you have that pressure to succeed you know, academically, you have the social pressure, you have the financial pressure, and now you still have this underlying mental health issue. It is just so cyclical. And I think that, you know, unless we see widespread funding and investments, I don't see a solution to this problem. Laura Hensley is a Global News National Online journalist, and you can read her piece, One Size Does Not Fit All, Part 4, in our Failure to Launch series. Laura, always great having you on the program. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Alan. He's world-renowned and has earned himself the nickname the Godfather of Artificial Intelligence. Jeffrey Hinton has done leading research in artificial intelligence technology. He's also the founder of the Vector Institute and has chosen to settle in Toronto. And he has spoken recently with my co-anchor Farah Nasser about the growth that the city of Toronto is currently experiencing in the tech sector. And Farah joins me on the line. Hi, Farah. Hi, Alan. This must have been a very interesting interview. This this gentleman does not talk that much. No, no, he he rarely does TV interviews. It took us about a year to get an interview with him, uh, but he is fascinating. I mean, people play six degrees of Jeffrey Hinton in in uh, the tech community because he's just. He's this figure that is not only, I mean, he has all these titles after his name. He's uh, an engineering fellow at the at, at uh, University of Toronto in a, in a lecture and at Google. But he's the guy who started all this deep learning about 40 years ago. So he wrote these papers, and back then it wasn't popular, or and, and you know, everyone was telling him, well, computers, they don't work that way. You can't, uh, you can't do this kind of thing. Artificial intelligence is, is not something that the computers can do. Um, and he just persisted. He's a story of people telling him no, and he just kept going. And he moved um, from Britain, where he couldn't get work, to the States, where he got funding for artificial intelligence, but it had strings attached. It was He had to do work for the military. He didn't want to do that, so he moved to Canada, made uh, Toronto, made Ontario his home. And uh, now, because of him, people come from all over the world uh, to set up their companies here in Toronto. And it's fascinating. I, I want to play this really quick clip here, if we can, about whether or not robots are going to take over. Here is Jeffrey Hinton. The robots are not going to take over, at least not in our lifetime. What's going to happen is it's going to be AI is going to help with all sorts of jobs, making the jobs easier. So if you're a radiologist, for example, and you're trying to interpret images, AI will help you interpret those images and save you a lot of training. AI won't take away the bit where you deal with people. It's going to be a very long time before AI can be empathetic towards people in a genuine way. So the most human bits of the jobs will remain, and the most boring bits will go away. 